Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krauss. I'm Richard Krauss. It's musical hootenanny night around here tonight. Now, it's the second annual one that we do. Although, I don't know, it hasn't been a year yet. Is it annual? It's the biannual. Does that mean every two years? I don't know. We're having a musical hootenanny night. Welcome. Come on in. Uh, curl up uh, by the fireplace, grab a ukulele, and sing along with some of the very talented musicians that we have uh, joining us today. Jill Hennessy. Now, you may know her as Claire Kincaid from uh, Law & Order. You might know her from Crossing Jordan. You might know her from a lot of television shows like Madam Secretary or The Good Wife and loads of other stuff. But she's also a singer and a songwriter uh, with two CDs to her credit. The new one is called I Do. It is available where fine and not so fine music is sold everywhere. It's a terrific album. And uh, we sat down and we talked about her early days, when she lived in Toronto, when she was singing on the street, what that was like. We talked about recording the record, all that kind of stuff. That was a lot of fun. She's a really lovely, warm person. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to her. Cherie Curry also stopped by. She was uh, the singer, lead vocalist of The Runaways, Cherry Bomb. Every single person should have Cherry Bomb, whether it's a single, whether it's a CD, a cassette, whatever it might be, everyone should have a copy of Cherry Bomb in their music collection. Uh, we talked about lots of stuff, but we talked about The Runaways and how that band kind of imploded. And then I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking to Thelma Houston. Thelma Houston is a disco diva best known for her song, Don't Leave Me This Way. And uh, it was a number one hit in 1977. And we talked about how that song came to be. Good stuff all around. It's musical hootenanny night. Get the maracas, get the ukuleles, sit back and listen to my conversations with these really talented musicians. First up, Here's Jill Hennessy. Some time ago, you might have been standing out front of this building playing guitar and singing for money on the street, right? It, it's rather uh, ironic that you're mentioning that because I was just looking out realizing, I think I played guitar on the street <laughs> maybe two blocks from here. Yeah. And I even, I think I shot a music video for somebody <laughs> in a parking lot overnight, right, literally within my sight line yeah. behind you. Um, yeah, it was a long time ago, man. But uh, that was that's how I earned my my living. How I what, paid rent. What was that like to play on the street? Because I've often heard from people that play on the street, like it changes you a bit. No, I think <laughs> you have to be out there. <laughs> I think you have to be out there for a while for it yeah. to actually have any real effect. But what was that like? Um, it was, as you can see, it's obviously changed me a great, great deal. Oh, oh gosh. Anyway, um, it was phenomenal. It yeah. was great because you you're depending on yourself. Right. And and you learn empathy with an audience because you're depending on reading them for where you're going next. You don't have a director. You don't have a writer. And I'm thinking, okay, so I'm looking at these people. I'm like, do they like you too? Do they like Joni Mitchell, Neil Young? What right. do they like? Um, and so I, I would just ask for requests, and then sometimes they'd sing with me, and then they'd teach me lyrics or right. they'd teach me songs. And uh, I... I love that, the electricity you have when you're actually working with your audience and you're feeling their joy, you know? I, I think it's fair to say that you're best known as an actor, but music clearly was the first love. When did that start for you? The acting thing? Or, no, the um, music thing. Oh, the like, music, uh, thing. music wow. I think, is, is that your first love, would you say? I would say it was the first thing I, I remember doing, to be yeah. honest, as a kid. I think most kids are very musical. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're also great actors, I have to say. 
But uh, I always remember singing with my twin sister, Jack, yeah. who's a great journalist here in yeah. Toronto, and uh, who actually sang with me today at Dundas Square. <laughs> um, so I love that, you know, <laughs> we're still singing. Right. We, we were singing when we were four years old. <laughs> I remember writing songs with my sister about brushing our teeth. <laughs> And in kindergarten, the teacher's saying, Jack and Jill, would you please sing that, that uh, toothbrushing song for the class? And then for French class, we had to translate it later when right. we were in, in you know, first grade, grade one. Uh, you know, something about brosser les dents. <laughs> and brosse, 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 brosse les dents. And it was to a real sort of 50s right. kind of melody. And, and I look back now, I'm like, that was actually a pretty good song. <laughs> Man, I, I should go back to that kind of material. I, I, I know your sister, and yeah. I have cannot believe that up until this moment, I've never thought of you guys as Jack and Jill. I Thank you. I good. have never noticed wow. that, ever. Yeah, that, that has trailed us our whole lives. Yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. affected me deeply. Has it? Yes, another oh, thing, yeah. as, as does playing on the street. Jack and Jill, man. <laughs> yeah, they, my parents swear that they weren't thinking about the nursery rhyme. Right. But, uh, I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> I would yeah. be, too. Yeah. So, as you're playing on the street, uh, are you acting simultaneously? or how, what is there a timeline that you can kind of clearly delineate? Or does it just feel like it all kind of happened at the same time for you? It all kind of blended because I was singing and playing to earn money actually to go to acting classes. Right. Because I never went to a particular university mm -hmm. or college. Uh, so I was going to various schools here in New York. I went to sec or New York, Toronto. Yeah. I went you to live in New York. I you're live in New York you're now. You're in Toronto now. I'm yeah. in Toronto. Thank you. It's been a whirlwind. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so I went to Second City here in Toronto and, and various uh, acting workshops here mm -hmm. that were tremendous. But, you know, I, I was also singing simultaneously to, to pay for those classes. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up getting a job uh, in a Broadway show because I was accompanying a friend of mine on guitar. He knew I was playing guitar in the street. Right. And he was auditioning for the Buddy Holly story. And he knew I loved Buddy Holly. So I, I played for him, and I ended up getting a job on the show. <laughs> uh, my friend Ken Merton, who's a tremendous actor, who uh, is he's phenomenal. And, of course, I got the part, which is so messed up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you got a taste of what it was like in front of a lot of people. That was a hit show. That was yeah. a big show. That was a, It was a very big show. Did that change uh, things for you? Um, it definitely did. And it, yeah. it obviously got me down into the States, mm -hmm. you know. It was like the first job I had in, in the United States. And... Also to be on a Broadway stage, working with a half Canadian, half American cast, yeah. and uh, and then starting to audition in New York City was was uh, very interesting. Totally different kind of vibe or energy. Well, it, it is. I mean, mm -hmm. Broadway. There, there's a difference between Broadway and any other theater in the world. Yeah. I think, for one thing, there, there, it just feels different to me, mm -hmm. and it, it feels like there is a, a life that only Broadway actors kind of understand. Did you feel any of that? You um, live at a night little a little bit. bit yeah, you've... it's uh, it, again, it's such a crossroads of the world mm -hmm. too. But I, there, there were so many aspects of, of Toronto theater that I missed. Right. And and there was such great, you know, innovative, explorative work happening and still happening here in Toronto, and and some really courageous choices that are always being made in, in terms of Canadian, you know, theater film, uh, that I. Yeah, I, I really kind of miss that a little bit. You know, yeah. when you go to Broadway, it's it's much more controlled by the producers and, and, and you know, ticket sales and such. Smile, people. Smile. Smile. <laughs> Smiles, everyone. Smiles. <laughs> I'm trying to do my Fantasy Island. I'm sorry. Uh, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Um, and so once you went to the U.S., was that, did you, have you worked, you've worked here a little bit, but did you stay? 
No, I, I stayed. I ended up yeah. getting um, different parts while I was down there. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I went and stayed, and I was playing with a couple bands too. Uh, you know, some guys who were with the, the Buddy Holly story, and right. then I hooked up with some other musicians down there. And I was playing in the subways there too, and various <laughs> Lower East Side yeah. clubs and stuff. And and was that the plan to stay? Uh, like uh, when you were working here and playing on the mm -hmm. on on the street and in dead ringers and things like that, did you think, well, I can make a living here? I can I can live in Canada, mm -hmm. or was there a, a plan to take a step? Um, it was literally to go wherever the work took me. Right. So I had no real plan to go to New York and stay. I was, yeah. you know, I would have loved to have stayed here, to be honest. Yeah. Um, although I love New York, too. It's, and, and if anything, I have always sort of split my time. So it's never really felt like I'm, I'm in one place as opposed to another, especially since my family's here, too. Yeah. And I, I've been coming back to either, I, I've done, you know, miniseries up here, films, I come up to do the music all the time now, which is great. I mean, the music itself has really facilitated a lot of nice, I guess, connections to to people that I, I love and miss, you know. Right. And uh, and now I've got a great excuse to always come back and, and play. Joe Hennessy's new album, album. Do people call them yes, albums? Yes, you know CD. what they honestly do. Do they? Because I do. Joe Hennessy's new album, it's a small album, it is a CD-sized album. so tiny. It's so tiny. It's called I Do. Uh, it's uh, in fine and not-so-fine record stores everywhere. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere you need it to be to find it. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, some of the songs, because these are biographical. Your work mm -hmm. tends to be biographical. Yes. Uh, this is the second album of yours uh, filled with songs that sort of are plucked from your life. And if you look through the booklet that comes with the CD, um, there's pictures of the people that inspired a lot of the music in here. Yes, very much so. It's, uh, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, my, my family, you know, my grandparents, uh, good, you know, good friends of mine, my kids, you know, they've inspired yeah. a lot of songs. And there's little pieces of so many people, people I see in the news. Right. You know, people I, I don't even know personally who just struck me when I was watching... <laughs> you know, the late news, and I couldn't sleep and woke up at 2 in the morning, like some of us do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, the only way I can deal with some of those emotions is to, to write them down, so. And it's been six years since the last CD. Mm -hmm. And do you write songs constantly? Is there always a, a notepad next to the bed or, you know, somewhere? Yeah, the, Are you constantly working on songs? I always have paper around me, especially being an actor, too, and mm -hmm. if I'm lucky enough to be working on a project, there's always scripts around, and, and I always recycle. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to, you know, throw anything away. You, you and, flip uh, it over? I yeah. literally flip over scripts. And I, I, you can look at my lyric sheets and you know, I'll say, oh, I was working on Nuremberg then. <laughs> or I was like, oh, I was on, on Luck with HBO. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman was on set that day. Um, you know, there, there are, I did a film in Vancouver and, uh, you know, Donald Sutherland. Oh, yeah, I wrote that song when Donald Sutherland was staying in the hotel next to me. Okay. So it's great. It's a nice sort of, you know, souvenir and journal I have, you know, all these songs and then the call sheets and scripts. That well, it's an interesting way to look back over a, a creative life. So much fun talking to Joe Hennessy. The album is called I Do. It is available everywhere. Everywhere you buy music, you can buy I Do. So say I do. To I do check it out uh, and enjoy Joe Hennessy's songs. Here's uh, Cherie Curry. Cherie Curry is, as I said earlier, an American musician best known for being the lead vocalist of the Runaways. Although uh, she had a duet uh, years ago with her sister Marie Curry, 
called Since You've Been Gone. That was a, a hit. She was also well known for being in the movie The Foxes. But we talked about The Runaways, working with Kim Fowley, the legendary uh, Svengali, who put the band together and later, I guess, kind of tore them apart. We talked around the time of the release of a movie about her life called The Runaways. She was played by Dakota Fanning in the film, so we touch on that a little bit, but mostly this is her looking back at her time with The Runaways. You were very young. People forget how young you were when all this was happening. And so you, there's no possible way that you could have been prepared for the kind of whirlwind that your life became, you know, uh, while you were in the band. No, and so quickly as well. I mean, I don't think I was with the band more than just a couple weeks when we got signed. Wow. And then we, then we were in the studio, we are recording, we're rehearsing, and before we knew it, we were thrown out on the road. It just happened so fast, Richard, you, you wouldn't believe it. And then we're, we're away from our family for our first tour was three and a half months. Wow. So um, no supervision. So you could just imagine what that was like. And we were just fighting for our lives out there, you know, in a male-dominated business that just didn't appreciate not only that we were women, but that we were so young. So, um, yeah, it was really, it was, it was quite a trip that uh, I really don't think could happen today. Now, well, it, it, there'd certainly be somebody looking after you on the road a little bit more than there were uh, in those days, I guess. Yeah, there's laws that protect uh, young people now, thank goodness. Do you regret any of it at all when you look no. back at those times? No, the only thing I wish is that we would have been able to take a couple months off um, when I left the band and then just regroup and talk. We had lost communication, and it wasn't until just recently when Joan wrote the foreword to my book where she said she was pissed off that I left. I thought she wanted me out. You know, we just we just grown apart, all of us, because we just didn't communicate. Right. And we were so tired. You know, we we never got a break in, in that almost, you know, two-plus two years. We never even got a break. So, um you know, that was pretty much the demise of the band. And, of course, Kim Fowley looked at it as a gravy train, and any time we were resting, he wasn't making any money. Of course, we weren't making any money at all because he was stealing all of it. Right, so, right. Um, you know, you combine that with, you know, over two years of being constantly on the road in the studio, some infighting and uh, just exhaustion, and it had to end. And, and a lack of maturity, too, I'm sure. At, at certain points, you're very young. And it's a, it's a situation that you could not possibly ever have imagined and have no way to deal with. So that would have to add in, factor in there as well, I would imagine. Well, you, you, you have to be a father, obviously, to say that. <laughs> Are you? I'm not, but uh, I have little nieces. I have, I'm around young people. Okay, well, I can tell. <laughs> and, and you're right. You're absolutely right. If Had we had just some protection and some rest, you know, um, I think we could have continued on to another album, and Kim Fowley believes that that next album would have basically, you know, broke us out into the mainstream, but, you know, then we wouldn't have had a, a real interesting story now, would we? Right. It would have been a much different story. What do you think the legacy of the Runaways and their influences on bands that came afterwards? Well, our legacy is that, you know, first of all, girls can rock and roll, mm -hmm. um, and you know, if, if, you, if you believe in your heart that there's something that you want to do, just go for it. You know, life isn't always easy. 
If you are of a certain age, Don't Leave Me This Way has been at least part of the soundtrack of your life. It was a huge number one hit in 1977, really emblematic of the disco era. Thelma Houston was the singer, sat down with her at the House of Kraus a, a while ago, and we talked about how that song came into being. Here's that conversation. So when you think back to that, mm -hmm. um, what, what memories come to you first of For me, it was, like I said, I had a hit record, you know, or, or prior to that, I was trying to get a record. Uh, I was on the Motown label and, and everybody was trying to get that elusive R&B smash hit. Yeah. And I was recording and recording and recording and recording. I mean, recording was like a job. I was there almost, almost every day. Uh, in, in the studio trying to come up with something. And then someone, uh, Suzanne DePass, who was the A&R person at the time, came up and heard the song, Don't Leave Me This Way, and, um, and thought it would be a good dance song. Because the dance, you know, we're saying, well, maybe this is the way to go. And uh, we put the record out with uh, Hal Davis, who was not to be confused with Hal David. Yeah. He was one of the producers of the Jackson Five. Um, you know, the, there was what they, put the, they call themselves the corporation, and yeah. so they were one of the producers of. So he was a very good producer, and he came up with, um, you know, with the 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 arrangement of it. And um, and we you know went in and cut it and it was sounded great to us and we thought hey, we got it, but then we had to take it to the chairman, Mr. Gordy, to have him listen to it and um, give his notes and you know whatever. And uh, I, and, and you know, I, I had been that route many times before and he said no we don't think this is good we don't think this is no we don't know so I said got something for him now <laughs> and so because of my because I was friendly. Um, with Suzanne and her assistant, they allowed me to go with him up to Barry's house. I, I didn't, That's nerve-wracking. You know, right, right. right. Yeah, no, yeah. because they thought, we were so sure of it, right. you know, so I, I'm going to be there. And I was like, I'm going to be there. And he's going to say it's a hit and it's going to be woo, woo, woo. And I was all excited. Early in the morning, we went up there to the mansion up in Bel Air and... And sitting and they played a couple of some things and then they yeah. saved mine to the end. So we played, we listened, we put, put the song on and, and you know, I'm sitting there looking at him, you know, like, okay. And, uh, okay. And, and uh, when he finished hearing it, he says, mm, no, I don't get it. I don't, I don't hear, I don't hear a hit. Wow. And so... Talk about some disappointment. Yeah. I was so disappointed coming down off that hill out of Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the, you know, the, the head of the NR, who was Suzanne DePass, felt very strongly about it, about the song, and she put it out anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it was the hit. So um, for me, it was like, um, it wasn't like the disco era, it was like, Finally had a hit, <laughs> yeah. and and it was received um, most prevalent yeah. in in that uh, right. in the dance in the clubs in the clubs. Of course, it did go on to be an R and B hit and yeah. a pop, but from the clubs they were like on it right away. So I, to me, I was just doing what I do. So yeah. I mean, I didn't look at it as. Um, And then when people, you know, at the end of that era, which however long it was, and people said, oh, it sucks, this goes, and they said, it's over, it's done. 
and I'm thinking, not really, because I was still working. Right. So I didn't see. So you didn't feel a part I didn't of it then. Feel, I didn't feel that I was outside of it, or I didn't feel that I was, um, you know, I certainly embraced it, right. embraced it, and then, and then because of the, uh, because the song was 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 kind of taken, over not taken over, but became kind of like the anthem yeah. for a certain period of time that was going on. I was happy that it was my song. Yeah, yeah. And that so I kind of, you know. And you can pay your rent. There you and, go. You know, and a new I can do a new hairstyle every now and again. Yeah, do a, you know, so <laughs> so it's well spent. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, it was it was a very good time for me. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you recorded it in the the Motown Studios in L.A. Yes. Uh -huh. I've been to the one in Detroit. I've not been mm -hmm. in the one in, De in Detroit is amazing because underneath that recording console, yeah. there are grooves worn into the floor where the producers, because that building was open right, for right, today, right. used to pound, pound out the that, beat. That right. They wanted, right. Right. Unbelievable. Today. I know. I now I I joined the the Motown when they went to the West Coast, right. uh, more West. And my first time in that studio was just about four, five years ago. I went, right? yeah, I went there for the anniversary of the Motown. Um, um, like the founding of Motown? Or yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, the, the uh, what they call the anniversary, for the, the 25th anniversary right. of the, um, of the uh, what do you call it? The, the place, Hitsville. Oh, Hitsville, USA. Yeah, Hitsville, yeah, yeah. USA. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so I was there for that, and I got to walk in. It's so tiny. Yeah, it's a little it's house. A yeah, tiny little. Too. And like, then it, upstairs it, is yeah. where he lived with his family and all that. It was so tiny. I know. When, when I went there, but it's like that is so it's live. Man, but when so, when, yeah. when when you walk in that room, it really like you can really be, feel, feel that the, something that happened yeah. in there. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. The sound. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, and out and out there. We were we were on um, the street. It was on Romaine. Yeah. Uh -huh. I love that streets in LA. They've got like those names. Romaine <laughs> that are named after fruits and vegetables. <laughs> well, that's it. That's all. Put the ukuleles and the tambourines and the maracas and everything and back in the tickle trunk and get out of here. That's all the time we have for the second annual biannual House of Kraus musical hoot nanny. Thanks to my guests, Thelma Houston, Cherie Curry, and of course, Jill Hennessy. The record's called I Do, and you can pick it up wherever music is sold. Uh, my thanks to all of them, but really my thanks to you for listening. Every Monday, we put up a new episode, so stop by, because you never know who's going to come by the House of Kraus for a visit.